we started a new series last week. We just called it Kingdom Prayer. And we, we begin to talk about prayer and, and praying the promises of God. And today I'm going to continue that. And really today is going to be where I wanted to get to last Sunday, but I had to kind of lay the foundation, all right? And so today we're just going to, we're going to call this Kingdom Prayer Activating the King's Promises. Uh, prayer changes things. Uh, if you don't think so, you get in a tight spot and pray. Okay. And it's really, it, 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 it's God who changes things. But we have not because we ask not. Uh, God gives us a, a, the opportunity to ask Him for everything we need. And if we just ask, God will provide it. And so we want to learn how at this church... Not to be a church that just prays, but a praying church. We want to be a church that, that prayer is who we are. It's, it's, it's not something we do. It, it's, it's, a, it's a part of who we are. It's our DNA. It's, it's, it's not what we do at the last minute. Or when, oh my gosh, is that all there's left to do but pray? I've heard people say that. We don't have any, there's nothing left to do. We've got to pray. We're going to pray first. Okay? And then we'll just figure out what to do after that, all right? But we're, we're, we're going to look at this today, and, and, and I'm going to warn you up front, uh, this is going to kind of be, I don't know that it's a little different, but, but it's, it's going to be kind of just right there. It's, it's kind of in our face. And I'm, I'm just going to take a, a passage of Scripture that every one of us, I dare say, can quote. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, and it, what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, but the, the reality is the Lord never actually prayed this. He used this as a teaching tool to teach His disciples how to pray. It, it was a teaching tool, and it's a teaching tool for us. I'm going to have to be real careful because if I go up high, I'm going to sound like a 12-year-old boy, okay? My voice, I just heard it crack. But it's, it's the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, whatever you want to call it. Now, we're, gonna, we're just going to look at, at verse 10. Uh, and we'll, we'll look at that today. We're going to tear it apart. But praying God's will requires that we know and that we believe God's promises. If you don't know God's promises and if you don't believe God's promises, prayer is, is, is worthless, okay? You're just flinging words into the sky. God's promises, whether you realize it or not, are God's will revealed. It's His revealed will. He wrote them down. He put them in black and white so every one of us could read them. They're, they're not hidden. I love what Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, I used this last week, but I love this verse. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons that follow after us. In other words, if God's revealed it in here, it belongs to us. It's ours. Now, I know people that say, well, these promises are there and those promises are here. And I realize there are promises that were specific to a specific people at a specific time. I understand that. But there's far more promises in this book than I've seen fulfilled that are for us that we're not walking in. In fact, most of us are not walking in the promises of God. This is the record of the mysteries of God revealed. This is, this, this is the secret things of God opened up for us. We call it revelation. It, it's God's promises unveiled. 
And folks, if we're going to walk in the fullness of those promises, we'll have to know what they are. And not only know what they are, but activate them. If we're not walking in them, then why are we not walking in them? I mean, that's the question I ask. It's, It's not what's wrong with God, it's what's wrong with me. Does that make sense? God has not changed. Scripture says that He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He, 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 is, he, is never, he never changes. And so if there's a problem, then it's got to be us. God's waiting, I believe, for a people. He's waiting for a person who will simply take Him at His word and call forth the fulfillment of these promises. Did you, did you hear that? And call forth the fulfillment of the promises. Unwrap the gift. That's what I'm talking about. God's looking for some Christians, for some believers who will get off the defensive. And we talked a lot about last week about defensive praying. Not being on the defensive, but praying offense. You know what? You can play defense and you'll score every once in a while. But if you take the ball and march down the field, you'll score. And folks, we're to pray like that. We're to take the offensive and go after God. Not dig a hole and try to stand against the devil. Now we are to stand firm, but we're also to take the offensive. Folks, God didn't create us to live in a foxhole, to live in a defensive posture. He created us literally to kick down the doors of Hades, to kick the doors of hell down. And set the captives free. That's the reason we're here. That's why the church still exists. That's why Jesus has not returned yet. It's because there's still work to be done. Now he could return before I finish this sentence. But the reason he hasn't come back is because his church has a job to do. It has a purpose to do. And folks, we're to liberate those people who are in bondage. And we're to walk in the promises of God. The promises of God give us access to God's heart. Okay, because the promises of God are God's will. It's His revealed will to us. Those are the promises. That's what we read in Scripture. Adam gave away his authority. And he gave away his inheritance. He gave away the promise that God gave him. God gave him one prohibition. Adam, do not eat from the tree of the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that. But everything else that I've created before you is yours. See, his promises were endless. Now, we get all fixated on the one thing he couldn't do. Folks, the things that he could do were endless. And yet he gave them away. Satan didn't steal them. I want you to hear me this morning. Satan did not steal that. Adam gave it to him. Okay? Adam chose to believe the lie instead of God. But Jesus came and Jesus reestablished the authority and he gave the inheritance back to his followers. That's why Jesus came. He came to die for sin and he came to destroy the works of the devil and he came to give back the authority that Adam had once had. That's why the Bible calls him the last Adam. There won't be another Adam, okay? Jesus restored what Adam lost. And folks, we live in a time when that's restored. Now, have, have we seen everything restored? No. But folks, the reason is because we're not walking in the promises God has already restored. We're waiting for by and by heaven in the sky. And, and look, I want to go to heaven. Don't get me wrong. 
I want to go. I'm looking forward to that day. But God has given us abundant and eternal life that started the minute we got saved. We don't have to wait to heaven to get to heaven to live a different kind of life. We can live that life here. We're practicing for heaven. Some of us, when we get there, we're not going to know what to do because we hadn't practiced. But God, God sent Jesus, and Jesus came, and he reestablished the authority, and he authorized us to go back and retake our inheritance. We've been given the authority to do that, to take what the devil took. Now, I want you to listen to me. God will not do for you what he's given you authority to do. Let me say that again. God will not do for you what he's given you authority to do. Now, a lot of stuff that we call prayer is not prayer because we ask God to do things that he has already given us the authority to do. Amen. If he's given us a promise in here that says we can do something and we don't do it, and we pray, God, do this, do this, do this, do this. Oh, God, please do this. It's not prayer. God's, you know, I'm going to be nice here, but I think God sometimes goes, hey, have you read the instructions? You can do that. I don't have to do it for you. None of you would carry around a 10-year-old that was tired of walking, would you? When they get to be 10 years old, they're old enough to walk on their own. Amen? I mean, just look at the picture, okay? I mean, you got another body on you. Some of you do well to even pick up a 10-year-old, okay? It'd just be more than you could do. Well, that's the picture sometimes of, of the way we pray. We're wanting, to pick up, we're wanting God to pick up the 10-year-old and do it for us when he's given us authority to do it for ourselves. I'm not going to preach on, on this this morning, but I'm going to throw something out there and give you something to think about, and then we'll get back to where we're going. But Jesus understood the promises of God. And most of you, if you've been here long enough, you know I believe that Jesus was 100% God. Amen? But the Bible also teaches that he was 100% man. Okay, I don't understand that. I can't fully explain it. But he's the God-man. Now, if he's 100% God and he's 100% man, he's different. Amen? A lot of people use the excuse, well, I can't do that because Jesus was God. Well, here's what Jesus said in John 14. The things that I have done, you will do. And you will even do greater things than I have done. So everything that Jesus did, this is what I believe, on this earth, while he was here, he did as a man, surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. He let the Holy Spirit guide him and empower him, and he obeyed the Father. That's the only way he could be the last Adam. So if Jesus did it, we have the potential of doing it. Amen? I'm not trying to lead you down some path that you can't get out of. That's what John chapter 14, I think it's verse 14 says. If I did it, you'll do it. And you'll do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. And when he got to the Father, he sent his Son, he sent his Spirit to empower us. So the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and empowered Jesus while he was on this earth lives in us and empowers us. Now Jesus knew the promises of God. He knew when to pray. 
And he knew when to declare and proclaim. Okay? Praying is asking. Prayer and, I mean, proclaiming and declaration is taking the promises and speaking it into existence. I want to challenge you. When he met sickness and when he met infirmity and when he met disease and when he met somebody that was demonized, you don't see him going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, help me. You, you don't see that. You see him going, come out, be healed, be clean. He spoke. Okay? He proclaimed it. He declared it. Folks, he understood the promises. He understood who Jehovah Rapha was. He understood that he is the God, our healer. He understood he is his present tense. See, it, 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 there wasn't a battle going on in his mind like most of us. He acted. And what do we do? We hesitate. And we debate. And when we debate and we hesitate, you know what happens? We vegetate. We don't do anything. Jesus acted, folks. He used the authority that God had given us. I mean, that had given him. And Jesus gave us the same authority. Folks, but there are very few men and women that are willing to step into that place. There are some. And, and you read about them. And we've made them heroes. But folks, they're just examples of what all of us should be. It's the place where we can all walk if we choose to. Now this morning, I'm going to lay that aside. I'll come back to that down the road, okay? But this morning, I want to introduce you to a different way of praying, okay? A, A way of praying that in some ways will be militant, okay? It'll kind of be in your face. It won't be the, oh God, oh God, oh God, help me, help me, help me. Amen. Okay? Is that all right? For some of you it is. For some of you you're not sure. All right. It's getting hot up here. I'm going to teach you how to pray offensively, okay? For the kingdom of God, rather than to live in a fog on defense. For the promises of God to become a reality in our life, folks, we have to embrace those promises with faith. What is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance, and that word assurance means the substance. It means to grab hold of something. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the evidence. That's what conviction means there, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, God has given you a, a picture of what it is, and you take hold of it with that picture, and you see it as though it is. Now, verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. In faith, folks, we have to believe the promises of God. We have to believe them first. In other words, is it true or is it not true? Or is it? Or am I going to be one of those as well? It was true in Jesus' day, but things have changed now. But things haven't changed. Folks, we are as close to the first century as you can get culture-wise. We are as close as you can get. You say, well, I, there's no way, Nelson. Well, in the first century, homosexuality in the Roman Empire was a normal, natural thing. Guess what? We have states that are legalizing it. All right, that you can you can marry. It, it, there's no difference. 
There's paganism. Uh, Paganism, you could worship anything you wanted. Guess what? People are worshiping all kinds of things in the culture we live in. So we live in a first century culture. Folks, we need a first century power. And I believe that, that Jesus has given us that power. And I believe that power is accessible through prayer. I don't think if we don't pray, we won't have the power. But if we'll pray, God will empower us to do what's needed wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So we've got, in faith, we've got to believe the promises of God. And, and once you believe them, you can start to see them. You can perceive them in your mind. When you really believe something, I mean, any of you, I mean, I could see my team winning yesterday. Okay, now, I mean, honestly, my, Kathy's not in here. She bailed out on me about three times, okay? She got fired up and went down the hallway. I went back to get some. I said, we're ahead again. She come running in there and something bad happened. But I just, I believed my team could win. I could see it. Now, that's an illustration. That's not, it wasn't so much, I did have faith in them, okay? But I'm talking about a different kind of faith. When I, when I see that promise, when Scripture tells me that promise, I have to see it. I have to believe it. This is true. And you know what? This could be true in my life. I have to start seeing it. And once I see it, then it's conceived. It's conceived. Just like a, 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 a child is, is conceived in the womb. It's conceived in my spirit. And folks, if I can conceive it in my spirit, guess what? And I can see it. I'm going to receive it somewhere along the way if it's real faith. So we believe it, we perceive it, we conceive it, we receive it. I'm going to get off those and we're going to get on this passage of Scripture. But I'm just telling you, you're going to have to believe the Word of God. That's where this kind of prayer starts at. Either I believe God's Word is true or I don't. And if I don't, you're not going to pray what I'm about to show you, okay? But if you do, this is, this is a different way of praying. Now I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now most of us can quote that verse from memory. But the thing is, most of us don't really understand what it means. We don't really understand the power that's locked up and that's contained in this verse. And I want to show you a way to pray that will change everything about you if you'll start to apply it to your personal life, to your family life, to your physical life, to your financial life, you name it. If you're willing to apply this verse to, to your life in those areas, God will work. Now, the enemy... The devil consistently and constantly seeks a way to hold on to what he wants you to believe is his. Now, did you hear what I said? It was, it was a nuance, okay? He wants to hold on and to make you think that it's all his. And folks, none of it's his. Okay, none of it's his. It belongs to God. It's part of the kingdom of God. When Jesus died on that cross, He paid the price, not just for our sin, but He paid the price to redeem everything. Okay? Everything was redeemed. And it's been given back to us. It's been given to us, and we're to use our authority in it. It's part of the kingdom of God. But you know what? You and I have to invade that ground. 
the devil's not going to give it up without a fight. He still controls it, but he doesn't own it. Most of us are are far removed from the days when uh, somebody would just stop on your property and camp out. You'd have to run them off. We don't we don't see that very often. I would doubt any of us have ever experienced that. But folks, that's exactly what the devil's doing. He's living on property that's not his. And he was doing his best to make us believe that it is his. Now, you can believe it's his, or you can decide, hey, you know what, that's mine. And I'm going to invade it, and I'm going to conquer it, and I'm going to take possession of it, and I'm going to enforce the rule of the king again. And when that happens, things change. Folks, the only way to do that is through prayer. Kingdom prayer, I want you to listen to me. Kingdom prayer expects to take any area, any circumstance, any situation that's presently held by the enemy outside the perfect will of God. If the enemy holds it, guess what's happening? God's will's not taking place. God's purpose is not taking place. The promises of God are not being answered there. But when when we begin to focus kingdom prayer on that area and bring it under the rule and the reign of the king, the devil has to let go. It's warfare, okay? Prayer is warfare. It's declaring war on the devil. That's all prayer is. Whenever we pray, your kingdom come, we are forcefully advancing the kingdom of God. We are planting a flag and saying, this is God's territory. It's not yours anymore. And I'm going to stand here and make sure you don't take it back. That declaration is an act of war. It's an offensive move. Your kingdom come is invasion. That's what I want to talk about first, invasion. Invasion is battleground. That territory is battleground. And, it, it, and in that moment, you establish the king's rule. It's battleground. It's, it's warfare. To pray your kingdom come, to come is to declare that the time has come for the enemy's right, rule to end in whatever you're praying for. Uh, invasion. I want you to listen to me. Invasion is a forceful entry into a territory with hostile intent for the purpose of taking possession of something. When when the United States and her allies invaded Normandy, folks, I, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but it wasn't a it wasn't a motorboat across the pond on a Sunday afternoon trip. It was bloody and it was costly. They invaded enemy territory that the enemy was holding illegally. They invaded that territory to take it back. It cost something. It didn't come for free. An invasion is the forceful entry into a territory with a hostile intent for, for taking back something that doesn't belong. To pray, your kingdom come is to declare that the time has come for the enemy's rule to end in whatever you're praying for. Now, let's, let's just get personal for a minute, okay? Let's apply this to ourselves. I want you to assess your life right now. I want you just to kind of take a look inside. Nobody else is, I don't have the ability to look inside your life, but you do. You and God look at your life. And is there any area in your life, an attitude, thoughts, actions, 
where God does not reign and rule. Now, if there is, that's enemy territory. See what I'm talking about? The enemy holds the rule there. And it has to become a battleground for God to take over. You've got to step into that area and plant your feet. You've got to invade it if you ever intend to conquer it. The same is true if you're praying for somebody else. You can use this kind of prayer to pray for yourself and to pray for other people, to pray for situations. I know we're praying for the, the, for the women's center that, uh, that, that they've bought a, a building in Fultonville. We're praying for them. Well, folks, you know what? They're having to invade that area in prayer. To get what is theirs, because the devil doesn't want them. Uh, the devil doesn't want them to hold that ground. He doesn't want to give that ground back up. And the same is true in a lot of other areas. It happens in marriages. It happens in finances. You, it happens in children who've, who've who've gone off and run off. They're living in sin. You have to invade those things. And so, the way that you do that is you begin to pray, God, Your kingdom come. In this situation, let's just say there's an area in, in, in our life that, that God doesn't hold rule over. i got to invade it. God, your kingdom come in my finances. God, your kingdom come in my marriage. It has to become battleground. The devil will not surrender it without a fight. Therefore, you have to invade it with the hostile intent of taking possession of it. Does that make sense? I kind of feel like I'm preaching to the air right now. You have to decide, you know what? He's not holding ground in my life anymore. He's not going to hold ground in my kid's life. He's not going to hold ground in my finances or my marriage or my friendships or, or my vocation or whatever it is. He is not, I'm not giving him ground. I'm taking that ground back. So you invade it. There's a hostile intent. I'm going to put a foot in his whatever and I'm going to boot him out of there. He's not going to contain. He's not going to stand in my way anymore. I'm tired of it. Until you get tired of this stuff, until you get weary of going through the same thing over and over and over, it will not change. And the sad thing is, folks, many of the people of the church have gotten tired of fighting, and they've decided, you know what? I'll just go with the status quo. It is what it is. Folks, we have the promises of God. We are free. Jesus said we're free indeed. If we'll take the truth and apply it in that area of our life, if we'll invade it, you know what? The devil really believes you're serious. He may just leave. Now, this could be a struggle with anything. It could be an addiction. It could be a habit. It can be an emotional issue, a, a spiritual issue. You name it, it can be. But whatever it is, in Jesus' name, the enemy's flag has to be taken down and his power has to be broken. Whatever the situation is, you pray, your kingdom come, you invade, you plant the flag of God in that territory. You have to fight, listen to me, you'll have to fight for every square inch you get. When they landed on Normandy, they had to fight to stand on the sand on the shore. Otherwise, the enemy killed them in the water. They had to fight all the way till they got to the, to the bunkers, and they had to fight through that. Every inch they gained, they gained through warfare. And folks, things haven't changed in the supernatural. The devil wants you to believe that he owns this territory. That's his. It's not his. It belongs to you. It belongs to me. It belongs to God. Well, we've got to take it back. He's there illegally. 
Folks, this is, I mean, sure, I don't know any other way to put it, but it's be kill or be killed. Christianity is not some mamby-pamby religion for lightweights, okay? It's warfare. It's strap on your armor and wait in there every day. It's, it's punch them in the nose or get punched in the nose, okay? If you don't like that, you're probably going to spend a lot of time with your nose punched, okay? You ever been hit in the nose? I have. It doesn't feel good. It feels a lot better to punch than it does to get punched. In Jesus' name, okay? I'm on, in Jesus' name. Y'all, I know some of you think, man, this guy's nuts. Just hang on. We're just now invading. <clears throat> Listen to me. You've got to secure a foothold. You've got to take a step into that area. Now, it may terrify you, okay? Listen, all of us have pasts. We all have wounds, and those wounds may terrify us. But at some point, either you're going to beat the wound and destroy it and put Jesus in there, or it's going to destroy you. And so, you know, I'm just this way. I mean, if you punch me, I'm, in Jesus' name, going to punch you back. I'm just, that's just the way I'm wired. But I'm not going to let the devil take what's mine. I don't want 99% of it, folks. I want all of it, 100%. And if I can get more than 100%, I'll take that, okay? If you don't want yours, I'll fight for it too, okay? But what you've got to do is you've got to secure a foothold. And when you do that, you're just establishing the rule of the king there. It's a little tiny area. But from that little tiny area, you expand the battle. And what happens over time as you fight and as you expand, the devil's pushed out of it. It's not invasion anymore. This is where you put on your spiritual armor. This is where you, uh, you take up the promises of God, you exercise the authority of Christ, and you take dominion. This is where you declare the promise of God. God says that I don't have to live in torment, that he's given me peace. And that peace will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. God says, I've raised my kids right. I've taught them what's true. You know what? They will return to this. I'm going to declare that promise in Jesus' name. God says, I don't have to be addicted to anything. I'm not going to be addicted. You know, God says, my marriage is supposed to reflect the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Therefore, you know what? It's not going to reflect hell. It's going, to reflect the de- uh, it's going to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ and not the devil. Folks, if you don't take authority and you don't exercise the authority, guess who will? You can't be passive. You can't pray if it's your will, Lord. This is the will of the Lord. For his church is to stand up and be the bride he's called her to be. Folks, we have to establish God's rule in that purpose. We have to establish his will, his purpose. Now, invasion, though, is not enough, okay? It's not enough to go punching in there. But you're going to have to punch your way in there, okay? The only ground you hold when you invade is the ground under your feet. Amen? That's what invasion is. Your will be done. Now it's time to pray your will be done. Your will be done is not invasion. 
It's occupation. See, there's a difference. You invade first, then you occupy. And when you occupy, folks, it's conquered ground. And what happens is the king's reign is enforced. The ground has to be conquered if you have any hope of holding it. It's not enough just to get on the shore. I'm I'm in the middle of it, God. No, that's not enough. You've got to occupy it. Occupy means to seize and control an area. For, For an area in your life or an area in somebody's life that you're praying for to become a part of God's kingdom, you have to put it under the authority of God. You have to take control of it in the power of Jesus' name. By praying, your will be done. You know what? You can't do any longer what you want to do. You can't do what the enemy wants you to do. Territory is considered occupied only when it's under the authority of Jesus. When I put a place in my life under the authority of Jesus, when, when I've declared over it that this is God's will for this, and I begin to live it out, I have to enforce it. It's not enough to take something. It's not enough to invade it. You know, you can punch all the time, but at some point you've got to control it. And the only way you're going to control it is to occupy it. You've got to enforce God's will at every moment, and you've got to conquer the enemy who stands in your way. You have to turn the battlefield into conquered ground. You've got to move from invasion to occupation. And you've got to get rid of the enemy at whatever the cost. I would say it this way. You've got to evict the enemy at all costs. You've got to expose him. Okay? If he's not exposed, you don't occupy it. You've got to expose him. You've got to extricate him. You've got to pull him out of the cracks. And then you've got to eliminate him. Folks, what, what I'm talking about is, is kind of like house-to-house, hand-to-hand combat. That's really what it is. You've got to get transparent with God about your life. You've got to say, God, this really is who I am, and you know it. And I admit it. I now know it. Because here, here's the deal. Whenever you expose the devil in a situation, you're exposing a personal partnership with the devil. See, the devil just doesn't show up and do things to us. He does things with us. Does that make sense? Whenever he has power in our life, it's because we have partnered with him in whatever it is, whether it's, it's family issues, financial issues. Now, we may not be aware of that. That's why we get transparent. And the Holy Spirit shows us. And listen to me. Whenever we expose him and we expose that partnership, what do we do? I'm just worthless. It's the same thing. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, that's not what you do. You confess it. God, I see that I've partnered with the enemy right here. God, I've I've been in league with him instead of being in league with you. You just confess it. Confession is good for the soul. It really is. Now listen to me. You confess it. You get rid of his foothold. You destroy his resources. You destroy his supply route. I can get specific. Listen, if you've got an issue with pornography, you know what? You unplug the computer. You put a password on it and you make sure that the person who knows the password is not you. You've got a problem with, with, uh, with your finances. You get somebody to help you. You give them, uh, you open it up, you make it, it visible so that he can't get a foothold. 
you get rid of his resources. If, if, if you struggle with, with drugs or alcohol, you don't go the places and you don't hang around with the friends that used to furnish those things. You get rid of the supply route. You get rid of it. You wrestle in prayer until God moves, until the victory and the answer come. Folks, this is messy stuff right here. And most people are not willing to, to get messy stuff. They don't, want to, they don't want to fight the bloody battle. They'd all rather be slaves. And folks, God did not call us to be slaves. Now, listen to me. If you do this, if you invade and then you begin to occupy, you'll feel, you'll sense the enemy's weakening. He's, getting, he, he's beginning to look for a way out of here. That's when you need to press in, folks. That's when you exercise the authority of God. When that ground is conquered, you've got to secure it. Okay? Conquered ground is worthless unless you put some boundaries around it and some guards there. You remember Jesus said he was talking about uh, an individual that, uh, who, who, who had had some demonic, had demons. And he said basically the house was swept. You remember the story? But they didn't do anything in the house. The house was clean, but nothing was done. And what happened, the enemy came back seven times worse. Well, there's a good principle there. When you conquer something in your life, you better build something back that honors and glorifies God. You better not just leave an empty void. Because the enemy will wander around, he'll bring back some friends, and they'll occupy it. And it'll be worse than it was. You've got to put boundaries in place. You've, you've got to have, have people that will, will walk with you. And listen to me. Anything you leave in opposition, I don't care how small it is, it will rise up one day and it will bite you. If you get a chance to destroy it, destroy it. Cut its head off. As God is my witness, I've never let a snake that I know of crawl off. Okay? <laughs> I've chopped their head off. Okay? And that's just me. You may like snakes. I don't like snakes. Because here's my fear. I'll meet that snake again. And next time, I won't see him, but he'll see me. And I'll get scared to death, okay? So I just cut its head off. That's what I'm talking about. If there's a snake in your life, don't take it out and pet it. Cut its head off. Because sooner or later, that snake will turn on you. That sin will turn on you. And it will devour you. Folks, once you establish occupation, once you establish the king's rule, you've got to enforce it. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to make sure there are boundaries there. And, and, and here's the key, obedience. If I'll just do what God says, there'll be all kind of boundaries. There'll be all kind of centuries. I won't have to worry. I just got to obey God. Take whatever precautions you've got to take. I don't care how silly it may sound to anybody else. If it works for you, Put it in place. Obedience is essential. Now there's one more step. And I'm done. For kingdom prayer to reach its its greatest potential, we've got to invade. Okay? We've got to occupy. But ultimately, that ground that we take has got to be transformed. It's got to be changed. The Bible says, puts it this way, as 
as it is on earth or as it is in heaven, so shall it be on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the way the, the text reads. On earth as it is in heaven. Folks, that's ultimately what we want to take place whenever we pray. We want the will of God, just like it's done in heaven, done right there. Right there. It's not our will. It's God's will. We want God's will to be done. On earth as it is in heaven is, is, is transformation. And folks, what this is, it's redeemed ground. And that's where the king's realm is empowered. Call forth the, with the spiritual authority Jesus has given you the will of God over that area. Get the book out. Find you some promises. If, if you've got a child that's, that's wandering around, find you some passages in Scripture that you can pray for them. If you're struggling in your marriage, find you some, some, some uh, passages in Scripture and begin to pray them. If you're having issues with finance or temptation or you name it, find you some promises and begin to declare those promises over your marriage or over your finances or over whatever it is. Call it forth. Call it into the realm that you're standing in. See, that's what we don't understand. We don't understand that our words have power. When the Bible says in, in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue, he's just not filling up print on page. He's declaring a truth there that when we speak, we either have the power to kill or to bring life. Death and life. It's not life and death. It's death and life. Why? Because we speak far more death than we speak life. What I'm talking about in redeeming an area in your life is beginning to speak life into it. Stop saying, you know what, this is just the way I am. I've always been this way. My mama was this way. My grandmama was this way. Do you enjoy being that way? No, I don't. Well, then quit speaking death into it. I'm sick. Quit saying I'm sick. I'm depressed. You know what? It's okay to admit you're depressed, but don't tell everybody that you come to, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. Start to speak life. You know what? In Jesus' name, I don't feel real good, but in Jesus' name, I can feel good again. This is not name it and claim it pie in the sky. This is just an application of the promises of God. It's believing that my mouth has creative ability. When God created, how did he do it? Spoke it. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. That's Bible. We have the ability to create situation and circumstances and beliefs with our mouth. You know what? It's far easier to tell myself that I am a saint of God than I am a sinner saved by grace. Okay, I understand sinners saved by grace, but the Bible calls me a saint. It calls you a saint if you know Jesus Christ. You know what? If I tell myself I'm a saint, guess what I live a little bit more like? A saint. If I tell myself I'm a sinner, guess what I'll do? I'll sin. The power of the tongue is, is beyond what we can understand. So stop worrying about the devil when you get to this place. When, when you get to the place where there's transformation taking place, he's been defeated. He's been beaten. You've got to build something there to the glory of God in that little peaceful spot in your life. It's redeemed ground. When, when ground is redeemed, it has been brought under the blood 
of Jesus Christ. Jesus is king there. Not you, nor the devil. In essence, what happens is heaven kisses that spot. I don't know about you, but I want heaven to kiss more spots in my life. This may offend some of you, but you know what? I like to be kissed. Now, just by certain people, all right? So don't don't come. Just don't do it, all right? I'm not going to do it. But y'all understand what I'm saying. You know what? When God kisses you, you've been kissed. You've been kissed. And his desire is for heaven to kiss earth. Everywhere we go, that's what's supposed to take place. The kiss of heaven is to, is, is to take place on the earth, folks. And when that happens, transformation takes place. A sense of freedom springs up. And what happens is Jesus is Lord over that area. This kind of prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, will radically change anything that it's applied to. I'm just telling you. Now, will it happen boom, 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 just like that? Probably not. Sometimes invasion takes a long time. Sometimes occupation is give and take, and you lose ground, you gain ground. I'm going to tell you something. When transformation starts to take place, it, 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 it's like a fire. It just it starts sucking fuel and starts burning brighter and higher. And you know what? When there's transformation taking place in your life, it feels so good that you want more of it. And so you, you know what happens? You go after God harder. Whenever there's invasion, whenever there's occupation, transformation occurs, there's always a change in a person's appearance. There's always a change in their nature, in their mood, in their character. And the reason is because what happens is they're drastically and dramatically different. I probably told this story, but I'm going to tell it again. Several years ago, I had the opportunity of of, of counseling with a lady that came to see me. She came from across the county. She lived in the Leeds area. I don't know how she found me. Okay, I have no clue. Her pastor was one of the best pastors in the metropolitan area, really was. And if I mentioned his name, you'd, you'd probably all know him. Godly man. This woman quoted more scripture than I've ever heard anybody quote, okay? But she was like, take, I mean, listening to her talk was like taking a bath in persimmons, okay? If you don't know what persimmons are, I'm trying to think of another illustration. She's just sour, okay? Everything she said was sour, it was like bathing in Clorox, all right? And and the longer she talked, the more I just kind of, just it was just about all I could stand. I was praying for the hour to be over, all right? I, I didn't think I could help her. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm just being honest with you. There's moments like that. It was just, my husband, this part, I mean, it's just, I didn't even have to say anything. I just sat back and, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. (laughs) Well, finally, she's just going on and on and on. And the Spirit of God just dropped something in my spirit. And he said, just tell her that she's never forgiven anybody. And so I said, hey, let me just share this with you. She goes, what is it? I said, you've never forgiven anybody that's hurt you, have you? And it's like I hit her in the mouth. 
mean, she, she didn't say another word. And so the Lord just kind of led me to, to talk to her about forgiveness and what it was and, and give her some resources. And, and, and I asked her to do something. I said, I want you to go home, and I want you to take a, a, a legal pad, and I want you to write everybody that's hurt you's name on the line. Number it. One, two, three, four. Joe. Joe did this. Billy did this. Susan did this. I want you to write their name and what they did. Now, every time you get slowed down and you don't think there's any more, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. And I want you to write until the Holy Spirit says, that's pretty much it. And then when you get through, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit where you're supposed to start forgiving them. And I want you to go to whatever number He takes you to. If it's 564, I want you to go to 564 and say, Lord, I forgive Tom for this. And I said, I want you to work on that until you've marked out every person on your list. And let's just see what God does. Well, when she left, I said, thank you, Lord. I'll probably never see her again. In fact, that was my prayer. I'm just being honest with you. Well, about three months later, I I didn't remember her name. But when I saw her face, my spirit just started to do this. Okay, it just started cringing because I thought, oh, God, I've got to listen to another hour of this. She walked in, and there was something different about her. I mean, she didn't even look like the same person anymore. And she said, you know, I wasn't going to come to see you. Well, I'm not going to tell you what I thought. Okay. Why did you? <laughs> she said, but I really felt like I need to come and tell you. And I said, what's what's going on? She said, man, God's just working in my life. I said, really? I said, what about your husband? She said, my husband wasn't the problem. I was the problem. She said, I'd never forgiven anybody. I started to forgive people. And God began to work. She began to invade those areas of hurt, folks. And she began to occupy. One at a time, she occupied them until literally she occupied all of that wounding. She took responsibility for it. She did what God said. She applied the promise to it. And you know what? God God transformed her life. He didn't just transform her life. He transformed her marriage. He transformed everything. She looked different. I mean, literally, she looked like a different person. Why? Because God, heaven kissed earth. Because she did what God had told her to do. Now, this is not rocket science, okay? You don't have to have a degree to do this. You just have to have a desire. You have to be desperate. This is hearing the word of God and applying it to your life. Kingdom prayer activates the promises of God. You've got to activate God's promises. Folks, this kind of praying will empower our church to change the community, and it will change our culture. But listen to me. Unless we apply it to ourselves first, unless I'm willing to pray this in my life, I don't need to be praying it for anybody else. Because if I don't believe it enough to pray for myself, I won't pray it for them. And so we have to apply it to ourselves and, and to everything that we pray for. Folks, you can't legislate this stuff. You can't mandate it. You have to pray it. You have to pray it. The promise is here. We know the will of God. Okay? It's not some big mysterious thing. It's right here. We know the will of God. Jesus said that when we pray the will of God, He answers it every time. It's a promise. And you know what? God doesn't lie. The question is whether or not you and I will pray it. Now I want to end today, I want to close 
with a passage of Scripture, a promise that God gives us. Okay? You've all heard it, but it's true. In Second Chronicles 7.14, this is what God says, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and pray and pray. I want to emphasize the prayer part of this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from them wicked ways, then, God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. But those three promises at the end are not going to happen until I take responsibility of humbling myself and praying and seeking his face and turning from my wicked ways. Folks, if we'll pray. And here's the thing about prayer. Prayer prayer humbles you. Just the act of prayer humbles you. it's obvious that you're seeking God's face when you start to pray. And you know what? If you pray long enough, God will show you all the garbage in your life that he wants to get rid of, and you'll deal with it. And if you keep praying, you'll get to that place where you've humbled yourself, you've sought his face, you've turned from your wicked ways, and when we do that, God says, I'll hear you. And when God hears us, he answers. I'll forgive your sins. First thing that needs to take place. Then I'll heal your land. Folks, if we will learn to pray kingdom prayers in our own lives and in the situations that surround us, we'll invade them with a, with a this is do or die. You know what? I'm either going to die on this beach or, or the devil's going to die, one or the other. I'm not giving up until he's out. If we'll invade with that attitude, you know what? We'll occupy. And when we occupy it, God's rule will start to take place in it. And we'll start to see things change and transformation will take place. Transformation does not take place until invasion and occupation. It, it just doesn't happen that way. We've got to invade. We've got to do the dirty work first. Then we've got to just grab hold of God and obey Him no matter what. We'll occupy it. And then God will transform it. He'll change it. He'll turn it. And folks, we'll be different. Let's pray. Father... For more information on Eagleswing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagleswing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.